This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. The Informer Daily is recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. At Joy 94.9, we'd like to pay our ongoing respects to Elders past, present and emerging. The Informer is funded in part by the Community Broadcasting Foundation, cbf.com.au. And of course, the members and donors of Joy 94.9. This is the Informer Daily for Friday, the 1st of May, 2020. I'm your host, Arian Potts. Today, this is the first day that Victorians can change the sex descriptor on their birth certificates. We talked to the registrar about how anyone who was born in Victoria or lives in Victoria now can change the certificate. Our lockdown has closed clubs and casinos. It's been a huge change for people who have gambling problems. Tim Costello joins us to talk about how the closure of clubs has actually saved lives. But first, this update. This is Dee Mason with the Joy 94.9 COVID-19 update for Friday the 1st of May. American intelligence agencies have concluded COVID-19 is neither man-made nor genetically modified, but they're still examining its origins. These findings come as President Donald Trump and his allies continue to speak about the unproven theory that the virus came from a lab. Wuhan. The president has been upping his anti-Chinese rhetoric in recent days, accusing the country of not warning others about COVID-19 and failing to contain its spread. Russian Prime Minister Mikhail Mashustin says he's tested positive for COVID-19 and will hand over his duties for the duration of his self-isolation period. The primary role of the Russian Prime Minister is to oversee the economy and answer to the President. In Russia, there have been over 100,000 cases and 1,000 deaths. Australian Defence Force personnel deployed in the Middle East have tested positive to COVID-19. The Department of Defence says they started testing after local contractors were found to be positive. The five Defence Force personnel are all asymptomatic and have returned to Australia. Four are in Darwin Hospital for monitoring and the fifth is in quarantine in Brisbane. NRL team, the New Zealand Warriors, expect to get a travel ban exemption from the government to allow them to travel to Australia before the start of the season, scheduled for May 28th. The NRL will be the first professional sporting league in Australia to resume amid COVID-19 restrictions. The New Zealand Warriors have already arranged to complete their mandatory self-isolation in Tamworth. Two AFL players have been fined by their club for breaking social distancing restrictions despite being cleared by police of all the charges. Luke Ryan and Jason Carter, both of the Fremantle Dockers, were given $3,000 fines by the club and must complete community service work after attending a gathering at a private residence. Fremantle CEO Simon Garlick says players at the club must be held to a higher standard than the general public, which is why they're being fined despite not breaking the law. Another resident of the Newmarch Aged Care Facility passed away yesterday, bringing the number of deaths out of the Sydney Care Home to 13. The outbreak occurred after an employee remained at work, completing six shifts while exhibiting mild symptoms. New South Wales opposition leader Jody McKay says more support for international students in the state is needed. International students contribute around $14 billion to the state's economy. 
New South Wales is the only state not providing assistance to international students. South Australia is considering reopening playgrounds and removing limits to funeral attendance as part of its easing of restrictions, which should be announced in the next few days. Pressure has been mounting in the state to let go of the strictest restrictions as it's been over a week since the last diagnosed case of COVID-19. This is the Informer Daily on Joy 94.9 and across Australia on the Community Radio Network. Victoria's birth certificate laws changed at midnight. For the first time, people who were born in Victoria or live in Victoria can now change the sex descriptor on their certificate. There's also an option for people from other states or overseas. I spoke to James Lawson, the Registrar of Births, Deaths and Marriages, about the changes. There have been big changes for some people for birth certificates that went into effect today. What can you tell me about that? They went into effect at um, just after midnight um, today. Um, I was up at uh, 12.01, well, I was up before, but just making sure that um, the website changes went live and um, we got everything up and live. So if people now go on to our website, so bdm.vic.gov.au, um, they will now be able to see the process for and apply for uh, a change of record of sex. Mm. So legislation was passed last year, but it comes into operation today. Um, Previously, for someone to change their sex on their birth certificate, um, they would have had to have gone through sex affirmation surgery. That was the previous legislation. As of today, there is no longer that requirement for sex affirmation surgery. If you want to change the gender on your birth certificate, what's the process? So... um, as, as I recommend, go, go to the website, bdm.vic.gov.au. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll see four application forms there. One is if you are an adult born in Victoria. Um, another is if you're a child born in Victoria. And for for people who are born in Victoria, we change um, the, the, the birth registration. So in, in effect, we will issue you a new birth certificate with the sex updated. Mm-hmm. For people born outside Victoria... There, um, there is the ability to apply for what's known as a recognised detail certificate. Now, um, certainly my recommendation would be for anyone born outside Victoria would be to first go and see what, um, if they're born in Australia, what their state and territory um, allows and will enable, or if they're born overseas, what their, their, their country of birth allows, enables, and if, if they can change their birth registration um, to update their record of sex, then they can do that. But if they can't, or if they would like something that's um, a Victorian uh, certificate or recognition of some sort, they can apply for that recognised details certificate. Mm. So click the link. Um, you can read the instructions and download download the form. Essentially, um, I'll take you through, say, an adult born in Victoria. Yeah. Um, if you download the form, that will ask you for some basic Standard details on any form, your name, your date of birth, um, just so we can verify who you are. It will then ask you to nominate the sex descriptor of, of their choice, of your choice, and that can be um, any sex descriptor. That's, uh, there, there's no um, 
there's, there's restrictions in terms of things like um, obscene or offen- offensive names and those things like that. But other than, other than that, people can freely choose a descriptor. Um, they then need to complete a statutory declaration. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as part of that declaration, that is just it's for them to confirm that the sex that they have nominated um, is their sex. Mm-hmm. Um, next step. Get a support, and this is and these steps are all within the application form itself. Yep. If they can get a supporting statement from an adult who has known them for at least twelve months, and that supporting statement will again verify the the the, the sex the person is nominating, um, that they know them to be of that sex, and that they are making this application in good faith. I guess you term it. Yeah. Um, finally, um, proof of identity. Uh, ideally, driver's license, driver's license and passport, but there are other combinations of um, identity documents you can provide. Mm-hmm. Submit that, submit the application to BDM. Um, at the moment, because of COVID-19, our call centre and our service centre are closed, so we're doing everything through um, email and online. So um, the email address is, is listed on there, um, but if they submit that through that email address... If the application is compliant, if everything is there that we need um, need to do, then we'll have that completed within four weeks. Um, noting particularly COVID at the moment, then sort of turnaround times um, are, are, are sort of changing that on a daily basis. But within four weeks, you should receive your um, updated birth certificate um, with the sex that you've nominated detailed on it. How much does it cost? For a Victorian adult born, uh, $110.50. And uh, for someone who is born overseas? It's well. It's actually one hundred and ten dollars sixty cents for someone born overseas. <laughs> it's, it's it's a pro, the the fees are, um, are are required by regulations, and there's yeah. a whole mathematical formula that goes through that. So, um, for some reason, it it ended up being ten cents difference between the two. The other thing I'd like, like to point out at this point is um, we know from experience um, with our old processes that people often change their name at the same time as changing their sex. Yeah. Um, they are, those are two separate application processes. But if a person, if, if someone submits both forms at the same time, we will only charge the one fee. It's exactly the same fee for change of name, $110 gotcha. for, Victor, for Victorian form. But if they submit both applications at the same time, because we're only having to go into the record once, the work isn't double to do the two forms at the same time. So we're, yeah. we're only going to charge the one fee. Oh, that's nice to hear. What's the process for a child if, uh, to have their birth certificate changed? So the process for a child is largely the same as, I've, as what I've just described for an adult. Um, the slight difference, the form looks differently. Um, we do ask that the child, um, that there's a sense that the child consents. Um, if the child is over 12, there is space on the form for them to um, complete a statement themselves. Um, certainly for children under 12, well, for, for all children, for anyone under under, under 18, there is um, that similar supporting statement as there is for an adult, but we ask for the supporting statement. It's, it's, it's to be completed by a relevant person. Um, now, that, that is quite broadly defined. So the legislation talks about the relevant person being 
a doctor or a psychologist um, or another class of person. And certainly in the development of the of this and talking particularly to young people around um, what they felt was important as part of this process and, and, and particularly ensuring that it wasn't a medicalized process because the whole point of this change is to move away from that medicalization yep. approach. Um, and so the message of the claim clearly back is that they want someone who they trust um, to be that supporting person. So so what we've, what we've done at the moment is, is it has to be a person other than their parent and guardian who has known the child for at least 12 months. And mm -hmm. that that supporting statement will include a statutory de declaration as well, saying that that person, saying that the, in their view that the child um, is able to consent um, and does consent to this change, and that the sex descriptor nominated is the the correct sex descriptor for that child as well. Mm. Um, other than that, obviously the the application itself is completed by the parent or guardian not by the child um but just there's just those added things about just ensuring um consent and this best is, interest yeah it's, it's somewhat controversial with some people but let's say you go through this process and then after some time you realize that the the descriptor you picked isn't quite right or you want to change something how can that be done so um the rules around this is that you can change your sex descriptor once every 12 months um, so look, we, we understand like, way back when originally a birth certificate always was a point in time um, document. It reflected um, the circumstances at birth. We, we acknowledge and understand that actually um, today more than ever, it's not a point in time document. It, it, it is, and it, birth certificate in Australia is the primary and cardinal identity document for those born in Australia. Um, it is used for a wide variety of purposes. You use it to access government benefits, to get a driving license and passport. You're presenting, you're standing in front of someone and presenting this document to them at numerous, on numerous occasions. And therefore, it's got to be legally correct, but it's got to, it's got to represent who you are. It's got to re represent your identity as you are presenting it, not mm -hmm. just your identity 30 years ago or even 12 months ago. And we un do understand that things, that things change over time. So there is that provision um, for once every 12 months, someone to update um, mm -hmm. that, that change of sex. James Lawson, the Victorian Registrar of Births, Deaths and Marriages. The website is bdm.vic.gov.au. This is the Informer Daily on Joy 94.9 and across Australia on the Community Radio Network. Lockdown has meant that pokies, clubs, and casinos are closed. It's meant a huge change for people who have gambling problems. Tim Costello from the Alliance for Gambling Reform spoke to me about what's happening. What got you involved in gambling reform? So I, um, in, in the early 1990s, was working as a lawyer in St Kilda. And uh, a client uh, who had a business good marriage, who didn't smoke or drink, who'd never been in trouble with the police, um, came to me for legal help. She uh, had lost everything. She had uh, got a new job and stolen 60000 from her employer to feed a pokies addiction. Pokies had only been in the state for uh, a year. And she got 
I represented her, but she got four years in prison. And I visited her in prison. And I remember saying to myself, how does a person who's never been in trouble with the law, who hasn't had even any other addiction, suddenly in middle age, become a criminal and go to prison for four years? And I started researching and discovered that these these pokies are built for addiction. They are predatory machines. Rather than blaming the individual, gamble responsibly, as the message is, it is the machine. And uh, so since the early 90s, I have been arguing about how dangerous they are, how addictive they are, and how we need to reform gambling by removing a whole lot of poker machines. Speaking of people who are incarcerated, it I believe from our research when I worked for Responsible Gambling, that also drove a lot of women who were Vietnamese getting into trouble because they didn't necessarily have social angles. And that's why a lot of the Vietnamese female prison population is in jail from activities related to gambling. And- well, for, for the female population, you'll find over a third are in, in uh, prison for gambling. Uh and when you ask the question, uh, so are these dangerous criminals? No, they're not. Were these people, uh, without really consumer warnings, given access, because we have 20% of the world's pokies, so uh, total accessibility to a very dangerous product? Answer yes. Uh, this is what is so unjust about uh, the power and dominance of the uh, the pokies industry. Uh, women over 50 are also the heaviest users of pokies and, and gambling. Um, we found out that the, the two core groups at the, you know, five, 10 years ago were um, young men who bet on sport and then um, older women who maybe had no children at home or just a lot of spare time and felt lonely ended up with the pokies quite a bit to generalize very broadly. No, that's a, that's exactly right. Look, uh, pokies, uh, where, where does a middle-aged woman who's alone or maybe her partner doesn't want to go out have a place to dress up, to know it's safe, where they open the door for you, they give you a cup of coffee, a pokies club. The profound need for socializing is really the dangerous uh, um, Trojan horse of the pokies. They say, we'll, we'll provide safe community uh, where no one's going to ask why you're on your own, uh, and then people get addicted. That's the, that's the, uh, great, the great lie of it. Well, that social experience is off the table at the moment. So what's happening? Well, uh, so many people have actually gone cold turkey because clubs, pubs with pokies have closed down. So many for the first time in their lives are uh, paying their mortgage or their rent on time, feeding their kids, not having the domestic violence. 25% of domestic violence comes from uh, uh, gambling addiction. Um, and we uh, we see the figures, which are extraordinary, Twenty, uh, sorry, $38 million a day is still in the pockets of Australians that they would have lost at the pokies. Over a billion dollars just in the COVID-19 period. So this has been um, a health crisis, COVID-19, that when the fog lifts have shown another health crisis, the addiction to pokies and the mental health, the domestic violence, the crime. uh, And uh, this is why it has been a remarkable clear break to see the damage of this industry are you in contact with any people who 
um, have problems with gambling and have stopped? Yeah, I am. And uh, a number of them have told me how, you know, they they hated themselves. They never seemed to be able to break free. And the fact that the pokies have shut down has helped them break free. This has been enormously liberating for them. If we can go back to the machines, what makes them so addictive? Well, the machines, uh, and we now have this evidence, are built uh, to release dopamine. So when you uh, sit in front of a machine and you'll hear people say, I'm in the zone and all my problems go away. Uh, what we now know is that the dopamine release in the brain when you hear the bells and you see the lights and you sit in front of the machine hits the pleasure centre of the brain with the force of cocaine. It is literally, pokies are literally the crack, crack cocaine of gambling. Uh, so there's now no mystery to the addictive products. They have, this machine has been built for addiction. Doesn't mean that everyone who plays it initially will get addicted, but if you play it regularly, you will get addicted. Absolutely. The, the experience is this is just something that's a bit of a flutter. But if you have an early win, if you go, wow, I got bonus points, special little ordinary me has actually won something. Uh, don't underestimate just how powerful the urge is to go back. Uh, this hooks you, this profoundly hooks you. You know, people talk about how in Victoria, at least, there's uh, something like an 88% return to player. But that doesn't quite work the way a lot of people think it does, does it? No, the people don't understand that. So uh, uh, for every dollar uh, you put through, on average, 88 cents is returned to the player. But that next dollar you're putting through is only effectively 88 cents and you lose another 12 cents. So that's brought you down to actually only 76 cents is returned to the player. So uh, because you just think you're starting again, uh, the machine wired to actually strip you <laughs> is going to win. It is always going to win. There will be uh, moments of up and down, but you will not only lose – you will lose with enough hope that you came close. Why Why does the pyramid, um, the fifth line that you need to get a jackpot, always stop just above or just below the line? Uh, you, you actually won or lost in that nanosecond you pick, uh, push the button, but it's rigged. It's rigged so that... The excitement builds and the pyramid on the fifth line for the jackpot will go up and down and then it'll just be one below or one above the line. This is a fix. This is actually a fix to get the dopamine released, to do get you addicted. Uh, this is appalling how literally the best psychologists have worked out with the gambling industry how to keep you hooked. I wonder if people think that it's sort of like in the old, you know, three real one arm bandit days, because if you did see the winning one just one off, that was a mechanical thing, whereas uh, pokies can be programmed to do all of that, as, as you've said. So the shift is uh, quite profound. When they were coin operated and mechanical, they couldn't do a lot of damage. Um, the shift to digital, where uh, in Victoria you can load up $5,000 in one go, uh, Really, it's like I liken this to the American situation where uh, the the right to bear arms was a ball and musket rifle, <laughs> and and that same right to bear arms is fought when it's semi-automatics. Uh, now, 
America's blind spot is uh, guns. Our blind spot in Australia is actually gambling. We have the greatest gambling losses per head. But the technology argument with guns is very interesting because uh, just like ball and musket, same freedom, right to bear arms, semi-automatics, we went from coin-operated to digital poker machines, which, like the semi-automatic, are unbelievably fast and dangerous and predatory with the same argument of industry people just have the right uh, uh, this has been a parallel and it's no surprise that new south wales clubs go to an nra conference and there they learn always blame the person never the gun and they come back with that slogan gamble responsibly that they sell to state governments blame irresponsible individuals. No, it's the machine. So where do we go from here? Well, um, the ACT Chief Commissioner, Andrew Barr, has shown the way. So he's now offering $12,000 per machine to buy them back and retire them in the ACT. Uh, we're calling on other state governments to do the same. We've got to get uh, uh, pokies out of the system. There's too many of them. They're, they're too accessible. They're too dangerous. And um, we... Uh, aren't holding our breath. State governments are uh, addicted to the easy revenue. Utterly irresponsible when you think that a state government uh, licence is to be issued to protect people. That's what the state government exists for. In fact, the state governments are using it to top up their budget, uh, notwithstanding the suicides, the crime, the mental illness, the depression. But... Um, uh, and domestic violence. But we are calling on state governments to do what the ACT has done. And we call on your listeners to sign our petition to actually ask uh, Dan Andrews uh, to get into line with Andrew Barr and the ACT. Do you think that the economic damage from pokies outweighs the economic benefit that goes into the state budget? Because like we're talking about you know they get a certain amount of money but then uh, you know family violence uh, and all these other things take out from another budget line no no we have the figures on that we've had two productivity commission reports 1999 2007 and they found that overwhelmingly the social cost economic cost is far greater uh we we find it virtually impossible to get state governments to update that and uh, do gambling-related crime or gambling-related mental health or domestic violence. They don't want to know. They literally do not want to know. And this is a big statement, but I'm going to make it. For a long time in Australia, actually, clubs, hotels, the gambling industry has run politics. When you look at the level of political donations from Crown and from uh, those uh, clubs and hotels to both sides of politics, uh, this is explains the mystery of when an overwhelming majority of Australians, certainly Victorians, want the pokies gone. Every survey, you just have clear public opinion saying we hate them, get rid of them. Why in a democracy does the majority not get its way? Why? because of the capture of political parties by the dollar of this industry. That's, that's why I say they rarely run politics. That was Tim Costello from the Alliance for Gambling Reform. That's all for us this week. 
like to thank D. Mason, Emily Johnson, Nicholas Kamenyusandri, Dina Curie, Toby Halligan, and Frock Hudson for their production help this week. I'm your host, Arian Potts. We'll be back on Monday. Mahalo. The Informer is funded in part by the Community Broadcasting Foundation, cbf.com.au. And of course, the members and donors of Joy 94.9. You can help us by visiting joy.org.au and become a member or donate. Any amount helps us bring you community-powered radio. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA community media organisation, Joy. Help us keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.